0: What's up everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of Life's a Garden. Today's guest is the bass player for not only one, but two amazing local metal bands. The first of which is Enrapture, and the second is Nyat, which stands for Night In at Tiananmen's. Both of these bands recently put out brand new albums, and today we're going to discuss the recording process... We're going to talk about the inception of these bands, and we might even listen to some tunes. You can check out both bands linked in the description of this episode. So scroll down, check out these bands, and go check out those albums. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Zach Oswald. Cheers.
1: Cheers, friend. thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely, thanks for coming on the show. I always love having guests that want to be on the show. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I, it's somewhat difficult to reach out to people and be like, hey, you want to come do this thing? So when any, anytime somebody reaches out to me and is like, hey, I'd be interested in doing this, I'm like, perfect. Because I've had plenty of times where people just back out on me. Oh yeah. Because it's not really something they want to do, it's just, I don't know. So yeah, it's man. always
1: nice having somebody that wants to be on. Well, thank you for having me. Very glad to be here. Uh, yeah, there's not a whole lot of people from the music scene doing the uh, weekly podcast thing. So glad to hop on where I can. Well, and sure. I love
0: having musicians on because it's actually something I can relate to. So it's easy to talk about. Can't tell you about like the amount of times I've had people on. I'm just like, what can I pry them for information? Of? Like, I don't <laughs> know what we can talk about. At least like with music, it's relatable and I can riff on that all day. So speaking of which... You are in not just one, but two bands. Yes, yes. First off, I feel like that would be incredibly difficult to, like, manage that. So music is pretty much just your life then, right?
1: Uh, it, Yeah, it's a really, really big part. Like, when I'm not trying to go make money, you know, uh, usually spending time with the friends making music. Really, really big part of my life, yeah.
0: Well, and you're not just in two bands. You're in two very, like, active and bigger bands in the music
1: scene yeah yeah we try and with both of the bands we try and stay really active yeah like we're here to write music play shows for sure which is awesome (laughs) i always i mean i could barely manage doing one band as far
0: as that goes so how do you manage your time with that how do you like break it up evenly amongst the bands is what's like the practice schedule like
1: um so in rapture has been on sundays like everybody has sunday off like that day is Enrapture Day. It's our it's our Sabbath, if you will. Everybody everybody has to have Sundays off for Enrapture. And um, we've been trying to just do like a one-day practice a week for Niyat as well. Um, so it's like we'll try and do like three, four hours scheduled aside every week for uh, Enrapture and try and do like a two- to three-hour Niyat practice as well and when it's album production cycle uh it's like try and find two weekdays every week to do uh recording sessions, mixing sessions, stuff like that. So, when we're producing albums, it's like 4 to 8 hours a week on the productions plus the 4 hours of live band practice, I would say.
0: Right on. Something like that. I mean, yeah. that's a busy schedule. Yeah. But
1: it takes a group of dedicated guys to be able to cuz it's so hard getting cuz how many guys
0: how many people are in a in, in rapture like there five are five or...
1: people in enrapture and four for
0: NIAT. Yeah. yeah so to get that many people on the same schedule
1: everybody's working everybody's got social lives and things like that it's tough but you it gotta be tough yeah dedicated to do it you know so. yeah but i think the bottom line is like everybody in enrapture is like like we're gonna do this regardless of the jobs that we have so right. like here's the day we do it and we're gonna find the jobs that work around it yeah and like I mean it's there's weeks when someone can't make it like For sure. people have anniversaries people have kids birthdays like things come up and you know there's days where the fifth member can't be there but the other four are going to show up and work their asses off so. Pretty much the only time I found that it really just doesn't work is if the drummer can't go Yeah that is hard uh it it is like thankfully the technology is good enough where if you're recording music and mm-hmm. you're working on stuff like there's plenty of work to be done otherwise. If uh, the guitarists know how to record their stuff, if they know how to record to a metronome, set up click track, stuff like that, like that won't hold you back so much these days if you're specifically working on recording stuff. But yeah, I mean, if you're putting on a live show and you don't have a drummer there to practice it to, it becomes a lot more difficult for sure, yeah. Oh yeah. You're not wrong about that. Yeah, the drummer is still a... That's the heartbeat, you know? Exactly. Yeah. We, we don't, I guess for me, we don't have like, the tracking just yet to okay, be able to do you. that
0: without. So anytime we're missing the drummer, well, plus practice is always at his house. Oh, so. okay, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, is Lucas Speed still your drummer? Yep. Okay, yeah, yeah. I've known Lucas for a long time. I, uh, I remember watching uh, one of his old bands. I believe it was uh, Idiot Kid Arsenal. I remember watching his band play at the FOE and uh, Shooter's Bar back in the day. Yeah, I, I remember, I feel like
0: I saw him play with Attic Dust once, and I know I saw him play with uh, Cancerous once when he was in
1: Cancer. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot he was in Cancerous. That's right, yeah. Oh, yeah. been watching Lucas for a long time now. He's a great dude. Yeah. Like, it's He's probably the most solid dude in the
0: band as far as just like, he, he'll never miss. He's
1: always just on time, musically and in general. You know what I think makes Lucas a solid dude? always remembers your birthday he oh, you will yeah. always wish you a happy birthday that is what makes him a solid dude to me he may be That's a solid true. drummer but man mm-hmm. solid guy too yeah no he is a, he's a
0: great guy um danny Shrike from uh, nyat i used to be in a band with him long ago like oh okay briefly it was like maybe a three to four month
1: stint we played one show together But he's a cool dude, too. Was that uh, Suburban Society? It was Suburban Society. society. I hear the whispers still to this day of Suburban Society. That was one of those bands that... uh, That was like the
0: high school band that just was always around. Carter was in that
1: one. That's right. And Andre. The original Carter and Andre band. Yep. That's right. And
0: then Justin, who's in my band also, was in that band. So
1: that's how I even got involved in all that and that was just such a brief Mm -hmm. stint i feel like those high school bands are like they're like the bootloader program for the great band program that is to follow like tony and i were in a a high school band that i would consider like that's the installer if Mm -hmm. you will to the uh the full program that's gonna come so like Tony and I were in a high school band called My Soul Beside Me. I I, th- I remember that name. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so, like, that band, I feel like, was that was, like, the installer that you download to install the real band of Enrapture, if you will. But, like, I mean, it was also, like, a really good way for us to, like, cut our teeth, you know? you yeah. You don't get the final product without building up to it to begin with. Like, you have to go do those gigs when you're a punk-ass kid. It's never gigged in front of anybody before, you know, you have to go shake the nerves. Yeah, you get your feet wet a little bit. You get I mean
0: the as as much as the local music scene is, you know, dialed down from what like the national music scene would be, there's there's politics involved and there's like little intricacies that you have to know as far as like etiquette and just like yeah, I mean, you have, to stuff. Learn,
1: you have to learn how to work with the people around mm-hmm. you, too. Like, you have to learn how to work with a sound guy. You have to learn mm-hmm. how to communicate with the venue and the people that are booking you and stuff. So, I mean, it's a big learning process. It's just like any any trade. You have to learn the tricks of the trade and the, the craft. And the best to time to do that, like, I suppose as an adult, if you were getting in a band for the first
0: time as an adult, you kind of have more common knowledge, like, just common sense. Yeah, you're not
1: just just a dick kid. Yeah, bullheaded kid that thinks <laughs> yeah. you
0: know everything, yeah. which is definitely how I felt and one thing I remember being really bad about when we were first starting music was like setup times, like getting things set up quick, oh, breaking yeah. down. Like once you're yeah. done, you got to break down if you're not the closing band, mm-hmm. which we never were. Right. So we got our ass chewed a couple times like, "Hey, you got to like get on this." And I was, like, "Ooh, ever since then, I've always had a tight schedule of getting things on and off stage." Especially as,
1: like, the singer, I don't have any equipment, so... Yeah, you can just go to the bar, right? You, well, but you I don't. You take the microphone off stage and i I make sure I'm bar. helping with
0: drums and I'm helping load <laughs> equipment, like, until we find a full-time roadie, which I don't see any time in the near future. Yeah. Yeah. It's always, you know, we always enlist people to help other bandmates, like, from other bands, but I'll help any other band as well, so...
1: Yeah, that's the way to be, is just, you know, it takes a village, mm-hmm. you know?
0: That's a good way to think about it. No.
1: So both
0: bands, new albums out. I want to. I kind of want to dive into both bands individually. Yeah, I wanna absolutely. G- I want to give them both like a pretty fair amount of uh, airtime. So let's just kind of break them down one at a time.
1: Cool. Cool. Who was the first band you were in? Um, in Rapture. So In Rapture started in twenty thirteen damn it's been that long yeah uh we're celebrating 10 years this year Yep. wow congrats that's thank crazy you. thank you I yeah mean, i suppose if i really
0: thought back to it i would be able to figure that out but I,
1: I, you guys aren't i i know you guys aren't like newer but i didn't think 10 years that's crazy that's yeah. awesome um i moved in uh our guitarist nate and i lived together um from like really late 2012 i think i was i had just turned 21. I was just about to turn 21 uh, when I moved in with Nate and I was playing in a band with Tony at the time. Uh, Nate had been demoing ideas for what wasn't a band yet. He had just written like three songs, I would say, and I was living with him. I was a bass player. He needed bass tracks for these songs, so I ended up putting the tracks to the songs and like before you know it, Nate had recorded the drums in the basement, he's got bass, he's got all the guitars, and he's like, man, these songs are like pretty good, we should probably do something with them. So, little by little, Tony would come record some guitar, and Nate would write some keyboard parts to him, and I don't know if it was Nate just, like, picturing what could be with these songs he had written, or what, but I mean, it was probably like a matter of two weeks before he had members recruited to come practice all these songs in our basement, and I mean, the rest is kind of just history. Like he picked and chose his, like who he thought would be the best fit for the band from, right. from other, uh, from other bands in the scene. I know uh, I had I had been living with him, so I was a pretty easy choice for bass player. Um, Tony was. Practicing in our basement at the time with our other band. So he was already there with his guitar amp and all of his equipment, his pedal board right there to come put stuff to that. And uh, Nate knew Sam, our current keyboard player, uh, knew she was really interested in playing music, writing music. So got her on board. And yeah, before you know it, I mean, it went from having a few ideas on a computer to all of us. Just jamming in the basement every week, we just couldn't get enough. We just all we wanted to do was keep jamming and writing together and booking shows, and it just snowballed out of control.
0: Is it all the same original band members?
1: Then? Uh, yeah. We used to have a second keyboard player. Okay. Uh, but she left the band. I think twenty sixteen, maybe twenty seventeen.
0: Yeah. Okay. So other than that, though, everyone's still the original members.
1: Uh, yep. Yeah, uh, we uh changed drummers at 1.2 uh so we wrote and recorded our first album with a different drummer okay and uh JR our current drummer who's also the drummer for Nayat uh oh, step- I didn't know that yeah yeah JR and I are the also drummer bass uh, okay. player rhythm uh. section for Nayat um so i think it was our second year as a band maybe third year um before our second album came out as we're about to start writing our second album we changed drummers and got a new drummer okay and since then the lineup's been stable just the five of us okay right on and was it always intended to be just instrumental uh yep yep we never ever had vocals on any of the stuff uh we've had a couple songs that like we've done covers of that Mm -hmm. we've done vocals with and uh we had our friend Zachariah Peabody uh Mm -hmm. put vocals to uh, one of the songs that we'd written. But all of the songs have been written instrumentally, and the song that Zachariah Peabody did, that was kind of like an afterthought to where after we had written that song, he came to us. I believe he came to us. I'm not sure if Nate reached out to him to have him do it, but it was after the song had been written. We'd recorded it, and then afterwards, uh, he came to us and recorded the vocals... For the vocals version of that song, if you will. I mean, it's
0: very unique in itself just to be an instrumental band because, especially here, like, I think you guys are the only one as far as I
1: know. Yeah, as far as metal goes, like, there's, there's, like, I think the jazz scene has a lot more of the no vocal. Like, we were just at Thirsty Street Brewing and watched a... No vocals jazz trio. Okay, and, well,
0: uh, that kind of makes sense. Cause yeah. Because that's kind of what jazz is sometimes. Yeah, for
1: sure. Definitely, definitely. But
0: yeah, as far as metal goes, you're not, I mean, definitely not the only ones to have ever done it, but oh, yeah, no. it's still a unique concept in and of itself because, I mean, I've seen you guys many times, and as a vocalist, I'm I, all I do is think is
1: like, God, I would, this could be so be cool it. if this vocal like... But that's just me the here. thinking yeah. the way that I
0: think, you yeah. know, using my my only musical instrument but it's like that's cool though because that almost leaves interpretation to anybody else who's like wants to think
1: that way in itself yeah yeah that's how I like to look at it too is like it leaves the like what does the music make you right. feel like you can interpret it like it doesn't even give you like words to put over it like well and it it gives more
0: expression to the music like it it allows the music itself to tell the story kind of like orchestra or something mm. like that so I think that's very unique and and pretty cool that that was always the original idea and yeah, it just yeah. kind of stuck. Uh so the new album uh
1: title uh Yugen. Yugen. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's what does that mean? Um I believe that's like a uh a longing for home. Oh, okay. Okay, saying, yeah. And how many albums is this? This is our fourth one. We've had Memories and Nightmares, we had our self-titled, we had Oceans. Yeah, this is our fourth one. Very cool. And uh, who'd you go through for that? Uh, We recorded it ourselves. Oh, sweet. Yep. Very cool. Yeah, so um, Nate and I have both been into audio production for a long, long time. Uh, Like, I remember being in middle school, and Nate played in a band with my brother in our garage and stuff. And he had, like, an old Tascam, like, 8-track digital recorder that, like, you would plug in eight microphones into kind of like a mixer like that record it all mix it on there and then it would burn a cd of what you recorded so like i remember being like just like a punk ass like teenager 12 year old like watching some dude plug microphones into a little mixer in our garage and being like oh dude this is mind-blowing stuff and uh yeah it's just kind of evolved where i've learned with him and other people over the years and Learned how to record music better, how to mix music better, mastering and just like it's just so it's it's a bottomless rabbit hole. Like you For could sure. spend your whole life learning all of that stuff.
0: But it's nice when you have the control to be able to like do all the all those intricacies of, of piecing together the song yourself.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's super, super applicable knowledge. Well, to have
0: like and you don't got to spend any money. Yeah, I mean, I mean on equipment you do, but not necessarily on like.
1: Yeah, what you would what you would spend like, I mean, especially being in multiple bands, like I'd be spending a lot of money having people record hours of material over the years at a professional studio. And, yeah, I mean it is a trade off because like you also what you you spend the money like buying the equipment, but then you have to spend the time learning how to make it like sound. Not shitty. True. <laughs> like, true. But so once there's... you have that knowledge, you have it for life. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, I also do love helping my friends produce albums, too. Like, I've I've helped a few bands in town produce music and mastered an album here or there, tracked and mixed an album for friends here and there. And, like, I find that really, really rewarding, too. Sure. Like, it's not necessarily to make a buck off people, but like at the end of it like you have a song that wasn't there before you put it into your computer and mixed it all out you know so like i find that work really rewarding and i really like being able to help my friends do this stuff too for sure so it's been uh rewarding in a way like i'm sure it's kind of beyond a... recording my own band stuff beyond just selfishly doing it for me i get right. to like I get to help my friends you spread know, the wealth. Yeah. Give back a little bit to help as much as I can. So have
0: you always done self-recording then throughout the band?
1: Uh, yeah. So um, our second album, we had the opportunity to uh, travel to Seattle and record at Robert Lang Studios, uh, which is a pretty well-known studio in Seattle. Um, so we got to do the tracking there, but then we mixed and mastered it ourselves still. Cool. So like for the most part, it's been almost all self-produced. Sweet.
0: Yep. That's always nice.
1: Mm-hmm. Who does, uh, do you have a
0: specific person that does the artwork for you guys for your cover art?
1: Um, so the, um, this newest album, we went with a, uh, a different artist. Um, someone we just I found. I really on... like
0: the the album art by the way.
1: Yeah. It was a guy named Fendi Daywalker on Instagram oh okay um yeah just some guy that our keyboard player found his artwork and was just like wow this is like like a lot what we had in mind for our stuff and yeah beauty of the internet reached out reasonable price and before you know it like yeah that's what our album looks like that's the visual that accompanies it
0: that's awesome man yeah
1: i I really like that um
0: any big shows coming up that you want to promote um For yeah actually
1: uh so in rapture um this week we'll be playing um we are playing Helena and Butte Ooh. tomorrow and the day after
0: well this will come out on Monday so
1: oh yeah so yeah so Helena Post- and Butte I hope you enjoyed the shows posthumously if you will this uh uh yeah we're playing Helena at Jester's Bar tomorrow and Butte at KBMF. Uh, the day after but yeah after that we have like 10 shows all in a row uh rapid city laramie fort collins colorado springs salt lake pocatello boise portland tacoma and spokane all of the dates available on enraptures social media facebook instagram and uh the venues as well Sweet. Uh, yeah, but ten shows, well, twelve shows coming up within Rapture in the so, next two weeks, like a little summer tour. there. yeah, yeah. Uh, trying to go play this music for pe- as many people as we can. So that brings an interesting point.
0: Uh, how do you balance doing tours? Because I know you just did a tour with uh, Nyat. Yeah, yeah. Like a
1: five, six, date tour. Or something. Yeah, it was uh nine shows in ten days. Oh, nine! Wow. Or maybe it was eight shows in nine days. Uh, yeah, eight or nine shows, oh. nine or ten days. Okay, so yeah, how do you balance doing that with both bands where where you gotta go on a tour? Is it just like
0: hey, they're understandable when I go on tour with you guys, so it's gotta be vice yeah, vice versa? yeah, it's a
1: lot of that, um, so like uh Nyatt is two members of enrapture, so like oh yeah, yeah, I yeah keep drums and that. bass, like like gotta understand like you know we're gonna book stuff for both bands, but thankfully, like everybody in. Naya is also friends with everyone Mm -hmm. in in Rapture, like, it's it's nothing but mutual respect and camaraderie and, like, we've all been friends for so long that it's like, we don't have to worry so much about stepping on toes Sure. so much as it's more about just, like like, what realistically works for everybody's schedule and, like, it's more of just, like open communication and a lot of lead time like, lots and lots of lead time I think we were planning this kind of stuff, like December. okay so like a lot of lead time and just open communication honesty mutual respect like if you're covering your bases and like doing everything you can to like respect everybody else's because like everybody else has jobs you know everybody has family and things that they need to do with their lives too outside of the band so like it's it's a lot of covering your bases like if we know we're booking something with one band we're immediately communicated with the other band it's it's a lot of a lot of communication and yeah it takes some work it takes some effort things slip by and before you know it you're scrambling to cover stuff but like it all works out yeah it works out it's it's all worked out and like I think the fact that there's Different visions between Naya and Enrapture. Like, they're such drastically different styles of music, even though they're both metal. Like, one with vocals, one without. One's like a really extreme kind of pushing the bounds grindcore. One's like a progressive metal. Like, they're pretty different visions, scope, if you will. So, like, we book them a little differently. Like, yeah. a lot more DIY venues with Naya and stuff. And, like, more i don't i don't know how to describe it as like more just like yeah it's got that like diy just like punk rock kind of just go out and grab it by the balls mm-hmm. like style like they have a little different scope and a little different like end goal i think um it's definitely i mean because i was going to make that point too like they're very different drastically yeah. different
0: styles of music which is probably awesome for you that you get to like it explore two different realms
1: of metal. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, I feel like Nyatt's so abrasive. Yeah. And, like, I'm, like, a pretty angry individual at times. Like, I deal with that for sure. Like, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, you know? So, like, that gets to, like, express that side of my personality a lot more. And, like, Enrapture's more of, like, how can I make these emotions translate into, like, a beautiful end product for somebody so like they're really different sounding in the end like they're branded so differently that that makes it like kind of an easy like you're gonna have different fan bases to Mm -hmm. begin with like people are gonna people are gonna come to the shows like for different reasons and you're gonna have a different crowd to some extent like, to some extent, like, it's me and JR, so our friends are gonna come to the shows, too. But, like, like, there's people that come to the Nyat shows that I would never expect. Like, there's, like, a local congresswoman that, oh, like, what? just loves the Nyat shit. I see her at, like, every Nyat show. I'm like, man, just, like, never would have expected it, because it's not, like, you know, it's, like, one of me or JR's friends that's coming to, like, support us or anything. It's, like, people that, like, see our singer's message that he has to say, like, politically and can relate to it and stuff. And you don't get that with The Enrapture because there isn't the political message behind it. Like, there isn't anything lyrically for people to, you know, rally behind, if you will. Well,
0: that's one thing I will say is very interesting about just, like, heavy, heavy, you know, like you said, grindcore or just death metal, whatever, you know, any genre of what you would consider to be extreme metal it's so interesting to see what kind of people actually are into it because like you said a congresswoman like who would have ever expected that yeah yeah it's pretty it's pretty cool in a way because my my general taste of metal varies across all platforms like i i like some alternative stuff i like all the way to like heavy heavy stuff but um it does generally and you were kind of alluding to this earlier it does generally attract a certain crowd like you got to be a pretty s- specific person to to like heavy heavy stuff yeah. so i'm sure that kind of limits the venues you're able to play
1: oh yeah yeah definitely limits the van- like well it doesn't just limit the venue like when we uh so i'm not an original member of naya and okay. neither is the singer so uh, Nyat used to practice in the basement of the house I lived in, and uh, it was a uh, couple friends. JR started the band with uh, the guitarist of Enrapture, who's no longer in the band, but I am now. Okay. Um, But yeah, it attracts like a different kind of musician, too, because mm-hmm. like, when we had auditions for a vocalist, it was like, like, yo, you can't sing. No singing. It's all screaming. Mm-hmm. Like, it has to be this abrasive. And when you're dealing with that kind of abrasion, there's venues that just don't want it. Like, for sure. it's so loud. Like, we have amps. Like, we have full amps that we're cranking distortion through. It's a singer screaming, like, screaming, streaming. He has a sound effects board that's just there to make harsh noise. Like, it's not for everybody. And there's a time and a place for it. And oh, I can, for sure. I can appreciate that as the person making it, too. Like... Mm-hmm. Like, dude, we're not here to ruin people's night. <laughs> like, like well, we don't um, we don't need to be there at every event. Like, there's a time and a place for sure.
0: Well, and it, especially in Montana, it's like
1: yeah, it is a hard sell in Montana too.
0: I just feel, and then you you even limit yourself again where it's like not covers because so many so mm-hmm. many venues want cover bands, and that's what we've noticed has been really hindering us from being able to play other venues. Is just the fact that we're metal. I mean, we're we're kind of a middle of the road metal I guess. And but also the fact that we're just originals and most places want you to do covers and that's how you don't get on a live after 5. That's how you don't get to play mm. like certain events like that.
1: Yeah, and I think that's just like it comes with the territory. For sure. Like I, I NIAID has no intention of playing on a live after 5 cuz people don't want that. You know, you just have to be realistic. Like For read sure. read the room, man. Mm-hmm, you exactly. got to read you got to read the room. So you kind of alluded a little bit on the
0: Nayat side. Uh take me through all that. Like like the beginnings and and when did that all start?
1: Yeah, so Nayat started as a I believe it was a four-piece band. Um uh our drummer, uh JR kind of put it together. Um it was him the guitarist from Enrapture, Tony. Um the vocalist from his old band, Fallen is Babylon, and this crazy, crazy, he's like a mad scientist guitar player named Edward Longo, who okay. used to live here. He moved to uh, Nashville recently, well, a few years back. But um, so it used to be two guitars, drums, and vocals, no bass. Um. That lineup eventually disbanded, and it was jr and tony kind of looking for new members and that band had always practiced in my basement and i would always kind of just like help set up their pa i recorded a couple demos for them and stuff but it seemed like a good fit for me as a bass player because i mean aside from the convenience it was uh music that i was really interested in i liked the idea of playing really abrasive really aggressive metal like it felt like a good progression for me moving forward writing and um they were able to get our friend will on board with vocals i love will i love will man great guy um and so excellent to work with as a as a vocalist too and as a writer it's so funny cuz like anytime i'm just talking with him and stuff he's so chill
0: and so just like calm cool and collected and then you see him on stage you're just like hmm
1: this is a different dude like there's two personalities to this guy but anyway yeah absolutely uh that band yeah the lineup like started um just kind of in our basement as like a rebirth of the original lineup and um eventually uh tony left the band and we got danny Mm chariki on guitars um, so this is kind of like the third revision of the lineup that we've gone through. Uh, the second one with me in it. Um, but this one, in a way, has seemed also the most productive because uh, mm. we just did our second tour. Um, the first one was more of a regional. This one uh, went down to Texas all the way to San Antonio and back. Yep. So like pretty much. How from- was San Antonio. Great! I love uh, San Antonio. It was it was a lot. God damn, it, that one was hot. Really, oh, Lord, humid, that one. Too. Was, yeah, it was hot and humid. We did the River Walk, and boy, I was chafing. Yep, but, yep. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. That one was. Uh, it was good. Texas was good to us. Cool. I mean, good fucking barbecue too. It
0: looked like I saw pictures and stuff. It looked like a good time.
1: It was a good time. Yeah, Amarillo, a lot of fun. Yeah, there's a lot of good times in Texas. Uh, San Antonio, I think was my favorite, of like the shit we got to do that wasn't like playing shows. Mm-hmm. I think that was the best, like it's like a party. free time that yeah. we got to spend. Yeah. Like we walked around all of the river walk and saw the Alamo and Sweet. had good food down there and
0: margaritas. And yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. It was a good time. There's sure. a
0: piano bar right there on the river walk where like late at like whenever they start playing, you can just do requests and they'll play whatever, but they have like a full band. It's like pianos mostly, but then you, it's a cool spot, man. There's like live music all over down there too. Yeah,
1: yeah. It seemed like a lot of live music in Texas. Austin was fucking oh, crazy, dude. I can Holy only shit, imagine. man. Yeah, we sound checked and then walked and like we heard like ten, twelve different punk bands, rock bands, metal bands, all sound checking like the same like three block strip we were playing. Like, yeah, I I don't it, know if it it's rad.
0: still true, but I know for a long time Austin was like. The central hub in the United States,
1: for... yeah, live music capital, yeah, for
0: sure. For for especially rock and metal,
1: yeah, I believe it now. I definitely believe it. I had a, I hadn't fully like bought in, if you will, to mm-hmm. the you had to, see to, to the concept it. of oh, Austin's just got all these bands, like it's got to be just insane. No, it lives up to the hype for sure. Lots and lots and lots of bands that night. Sweet man. So um. You're talking about the tour. Um, you said this is the second tour you done. How many albums? Um, so this is the sec so Nyatt had done an EP, like a four song uh release before that, and then one full length. Okay. So this is our second full length uh third release total, and we've done like a few one off singles otherwise. Cool. Yep. So I think it was our second full length
0: and i imagine you do
1: all the in-house stuff with that as well yeah we actually um we sent it to be mastered elsewhere okay um yeah we we were able to all pitch in a little bit extra and um send it to a guy in portland who um his name's bradley boatwright shouts out to bradley boatwright brad you are the man i know you're not gonna hear this ever because like, man, can't even get you to answer an email. But Brad, <laughs> man, I love you, dude. Bradley Boatwright, thank you so much for making this album sound so good. Uh, Brad at, I believe it is, Audio Siege Studios. Um, He has done a lot of great grindcore, the modern grindcore albums. Bands like Escuela Grind, I believe, and Full of Hell. Uh, he's done the mastering on those. His biggest, like, mainstream master that he did was um, Stranger Things. He did the Stranger Things soundtrack. Oh, wow. Um, just, like, I mean, you're talking about top of the line. Like, there's a big step up from what he can do to what I can do in my basement. Like, this is a guy who, like, has not just the gear, like, a great studio with excellent equipment, but... The experience to go with it he's been doing this for so long like something like my band comes across his desk he's gonna know this guy's doing this in a basement <laughs> and his studio doesn't have good sound treatment look at this big buildup of low end like his bass is peaking here big time like he never even heard it like he's got the ear he's got the gear he's got the equipment like it's uh it's almost like an inspiration of like like where you can level up to if you work as hard as this guy did, you know, like it's like seeing the next step in the progression.
0: Well, that's cool that you were able to do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We were able to all pitch in and man, it's like a blessing to have band members that are all willing to like, I mean, you know, it's not free to have somebody like that master your shit. Like to have band members that are like, here's what it's going to be four ways. Like let's, fucking put the extra work in and go do it i don't know
0: that in three years my band has ever made money like we 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 pocket any money we make playing shows but for recording for merch for any of that stuff i think we originally put in like 50 bucks each to buy our initial merch Mm -hmm. and since then it's just been like a revolving door being able to just like sell the merch, buy more merch, sell you know
1: Yeah, well that's what you're supposed to do. It's right. you know, you keep some the people, ball it's keeping the ball rolling. Some
0: people don't think about it that way though. Yeah. Like you gotta kinda of, This is the most business minded I've ever been is being in a band. Like having to think about things like that. And I've I've had guys in our band be like, you know, so are we ever going to make any money on that? It's like eh and probably not. Like if you want to keep making merch, you're just gonna have to put it back in anyway. Mm-hmm. So maybe one day but not probably any time in the near future. Whereas, like playing shows, we're actually putting in work. So I'm originally we were putting that money into a band fund, mm-hmm. but now it's like we've gotten to the point where yeah, if we're gonna make money playing shows, we're gonna keep that money.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it definitely makes you think about things in a different way. Absolutely, because like, I mean, yes, your band is gonna make that money, that profit percentage, and that's why like planning things is so important like how much you're going to spend on the shirts yep. how much you're going to make back on them and then what you're going to do with that money like you're going to the profit like you're going to pay for the shirts to get printed again but then what comes with the money after like the extra bit like you have to like there's there's levels to this shit man yep, yep. there's levels to this shit you like the more you think about it the more you plan it and like it's something I've struggled with too like as I've gotten older, I've wanted to be like, you know, what is what is my three year plan? What is my five year plan as a musician? And like, it, I don't think like it takes a certain type of person to be like, how am I going to turn me being good at bass into five years worth of a career? You know, like, yeah, it's it is a different thing because like, I mean, no one's going to pay you to sit on some some couch and play bass for five years so you have to like i mean there is planning that goes Mm -hmm. along with it you can't just be like here's my talent and i'm good you have to how do you translate this talent into maybe paying your bills if it's not going to pay your bills maybe it pays for the t-shirts and pays for the next merch too like you know, you have to think about it in a different way than I'm just going to go sit and play my bass for a little bit. Right. Like it, it takes a different mindset and you got to like planning out how you're going to do things, but you also can't look too far ahead into the future either. Cause you know, uh, like Interrupture has been around 10 years, but not a lot of Billings bands have been around 10 years or more. Yeah. So I know like at the same time, I know bands that have gotten bitten in the ass cause they get together, play music for three months, and record their first songs, and they print 500 discs, 1,000 discs, thinking they're going to sell all these in the next year because they're booking shows. And
0: and then they're just stuck with a stockpile.
1: Yeah, then the band breaks up and you've got two boxes oh. of CDs to get rid of. That was my... I, I
0: went the other way. I, I When we originally bought shirts, I think I only bought 40-some, sh- like 42 shirts, and just to see... I needed a sample size mm. and I'm so glad because I stupidly bought a lot of smalls. Mm,
1: okay. I, yeah. I just bought
0: like 12 of each size. Not not really thinking about the fact that I needed to get 2x 3x because we had a lot of requests for those mm. and no we still to this day have smalls from that original run. <laughs> oh shit, yeah. So, anytime I make reprints like of new stuff, I only get like 3 or 4 smalls yeah, and smalls. then get get extra Double, triple, 4X, you know, because you you need those. And now I'm glad I did that, though, in a smaller bunch. Because now I kind of have an idea. Plus, we got to see, do people even want this stuff?
1: Yeah, yeah, the trial batch size. Like, that's why, like, I mean, breweries, they they brew their first batches, small batch. Like, do the the testing sample batches, if you will. Like, like coffee roasters, they're going to they're gonna roast half a pound at a time if they're initially starting up their business, you know. You don't wanna just like it's a big risk. Yep. Like you have to know that the market is there if you're gonna drop a big investment into a bunch of merch as a band. Like you know you have to know you have to have the shows booked if Mm -hmm. you're gonna drop big money on a lot of merch, a lot of t shirts, albums, hats, all the stuff. Like you gotta have the shows booked to go sell that stuff if you're gonna drop that money so it's a learning experience there's a learning curve there for sure like yeah i kind of wish i would have taken like marketing classes in college i literally just i just learn by following other like i, I just hear different stuff
0: from other people and i kind of just find my way through the middle of it all and that's kind of just have or just learn by failing
1: yeah I, I think failure is actually one of the best learning mechanisms that we can have because like man there is nothing like i mean it's the same reason fucking fat shaming works like a motherfucker (laughs) on me dude like dude i don't i I just don't want that negative experience in front of people again like if i have to fail in front of people like do my best not to do that again right like well and but like you said before don't bite off too much more than you can
0: chew because then you're stuck with all this product and or all this Extra stuff that you can't get rid of. Yeah, you got to get the sample size out first. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's kind of two. We we played music for a year before we printed any merch because mm-hmm. we need to know for one, are we going to be sticking around? Are we good enough to stay with each other? Second, do people even like what we're doing? Mm-hmm. And do people now we have a market of people that want to buy this stuff? Yeah, and not and three years later, I wish we would have made it. We finally just recorded our own EP but we waited this long because we wanted to know that it was going to be worth it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Establish your brand. Exactly. You know? Yeah.
0: And make sure our stuff is solid and that mm-hmm. like, we've got our songs the way
1: we want them and yeah. quality product at the end, you know, yeah. before I forget, let's shout out the Nyatt CD. We didn't name it. Uh, yeah. So um, the Nyatt album called head first into the Berkeley pit uh, reference to our good old Montana. I loved that room. by the way. Um, yeah, it's, uh, 10 songs, um, all produced, uh, since like November of last year. It's all very recent material. Uh, first album with the current lineup. Um, me, Danny Cheriki, Will Summers, J.R. Anderson. Uh, yeah. Grindcore from Montana. Who, uh, who did the album art on that one? Oh, shit. That, oh, you're hitting me with these questions. I don't know. Um, that's another, uh, artist that J.R. found on Instagram. I okay. believe the name is Morbid Dusk. Morbid Dusk, if I'm not mistaken. M-O-R-B-I-D-U-S-K on Instagram. Cool. Um, uh, don't hold me to that. I'm well, pretty sure that's it. Almost positive. Had to come up with that one I'm sure the top can... of the dome.
0: If it's wrong, I'm sure we can find it somewhere. We'll follow the rabbit trail down there. Yeah. Um... I do want to listen to some of these tracks, but um, I know I'm going to forget. I got to ask you just some basic recording questions because, like I said, we just got done recording our album or our mm-hmm. CD. Yeah. Um. First thing, just a general question because you said that you do sound engineering and things like that. What goes into mastering? Like, I understand what mixing is, but explain what mastering is. Like
1: mastering an album. So, I consider, I think of, like, two, there's, like, two, maybe three main things that go into mastering. I think of it as, A, the first thing, it's loud enough. Like, a big part of mastering is just getting the shit loud. So, um, traditionally, like, there's been something called the volume wars with mastering, where everything just tries to be louder than the last thing released. So, like, metal band a will release an album and then metal band b will be like shit we got to be louder our ha- our album has to be louder on the like play it on your phone our album has to be louder on the phone than like this band or play it on this speaker and ours is louder on the same speakers gotcha so like part of it is like get a competitive volume and overall sound out of your album like eqing and compressing the actual s- tracks okay but like I like to actually look of it like look at it as more of like mixing a song is like all of the instrument tracks get brought together and mixed together all of the instruments into a song. Mastering an album is like mixing all of the songs together to make an album. So like the way that you mix all of the instruments to make a song you're mixing all of the songs to make one cohesive, big, full-length album. Okay. So, like... So, like, every... Like, the way that the songs transition into each other is, like, really crucial in mastering. I'll take a lot of time and, like, really, really nitpick how the songs flow into each other, how one fades out, how the next one fades in. Some of them need to start, like, the song ends abruptly, and then the next one starts just, like, hits on the next downbeat. Some of them need to fade into each other, if you will. Like, there's some art to be created. Sure. In, in that, in that very narrow window, you have, like, a very limited sense of creative freedom, how you're gonna make this stuff flow together. Yeah. But there is, like, like, a legitimate, like, need for that in the production phase. Like, if, songs transition from one to the next in a really jarring, unsettling, unnatural way. It, like, pulls the listener out of the album in a way. So, like, that's more of, like, the subtle, artistic approach to mastering. Like, the real, like... I don't know if... Like, the hard labor of mastering is done getting it fucking loud. Like, making the shit loud enough that it doesn't seem super quiet on the radio. Like it has to go from one song on the radio into yours and not feel out of place. Mm, That makes sense. That makes sense. Like the final, the same way that like whoever made this table had to like sand the shit, had to put a finish on it. Like it's the same thing. Like you're sanding and putting the finish on the songs, combining them into an album. The same way you're sanding this piece and this piece and this piece, all of these get sanded and finished and then combined after the sanding and the finishing. Sure. In the same way, it's the final finish process to the music. Okay.
0: And then my next question, and this is going to be very crucial for me, going into the next stage of what we're going to
1: do—distribution.
0: Like, what do you? How do you go about distributing it on Spotify, Apple?
1: Distrokid, pa- baby. That's what it is. Distrokid—they're yeah. the fucking best, dude. Okay. Like, do they man.
0: do? Do they do hard
1: copy too? uh distro kid did not do the hard copies cd baby okay. uh, is the company we went through for physical distribution but like dude i cannot get that company to just not fuck me around for one printing like it's like every time i send something to them they're like yeah this border was like a millimeter past this line like it's always something with them like hmm. it can never just be nice and simple with uh um actually it's cd baby it might be like a parent company okay um disc makers is actually the company we went through okay and uh you know the enrapture was actually really really smooth with them i shouldn't i shouldn't should talk like that well uh, cd baby Nyatt, that- yeah nyat had a little bit of an issue with uh disc makers printing things came out kind of dark hmm. not exactly how we had them like it didn't translate super well from our photoshop document okay to uh the disc um the Enrapture one went a lot smoother. Okay. But this is like fourth one we've done so CD you're used C D baby. To that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, CD... so like it was it was a little bit of a learning curve with the excuse me, with the uh NIAT one. Okay. Yeah, C D baby was the one that I had heard of. I just didn't know if maybe so so you go through them
0: for the physical copy. Yeah, yeah. And then for
1: the other distribution Yep, for the digital side of things we went distro kid. Oh cool. man, they have been nothing but great to work with. Like I had a band break up and like I didn't pay for the digital distribution for that band. I was like 10 months late before on uh, my payment before they were like, dude, you didn't pay this for a year. We're going to shut your distribution down. And I was like, hey, guys, sorry, I'm late. Can you keep it up? And they were like, this guy, yeah, fine. Yeah, we'll keep it up. If you if you pay us we'll keep it up.
0: And it and it distributes to all platforms.
1: Yeah, yeah. Amazon, Spotify, like any of the major digital ones. Like like they were good like beyond good to me. Like they were good to me when they shouldn't have even been good to me. Like they are too good of a company. Like well, so fucking nice. That, I can't even believe how nice they were to me.
0: That's a shining recommendation. I think we might have to look into that.
1: Yeah. Can't can't say enough good. Like they're tops. Absolutely tops.
0: Well, let's listen to some of these tracks, huh? Yeah, let's fucking do it. Now, first thing, I don't know if this is gonna flag me for doing this.
1: I shouldn't, right? No, if it, I mean, you have permission from the from okay the creator. Well, right? I don't like. I would hope so. But like, how hard are we gonna have to petition this? I doubt it. I don't think we. I'm just either. saying,
0: if for some reason I get it gets flagged and I have to cut it out, just know that that's what happened. Okay, but yeah. for anybody out there we'll we'll name the songs before we play them if it happens to get cut out
1: or if I only have to like maybe play a snippet of it but Lord, yeah uh, what is the first one you want to get um Nyatt's, uh debut single how long does shit burn we're ready to go so one more time on the song title this is how long does shit burn <laughs> <laughs> is uh how long does shit burn? And then so so kind of tell me a little bit about that. Like... Um so that is actually a song that JR and I wrote the instrumentals for um shortly before like the covid lockdowns. I think um we had JR had like the idea for some of the drums like so like that song's like It's very, like, mathematically based. Like, the intro is, like, 1, 2, 1, 2, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 1, So, like, it's really, like, influenced by, like, math. Okay. Like, it's really math core. Like, we came up with, like, mathematical patterns for, Mm -hmm. like, the way the breakdowns work and stuff. So, like, he had the idea for that, like, late 2019 like super early 2020 and we kind of recorded that and uh like right when things locked down like february 2020 we recorded drums my bass and um as like the new lineup with Niat progressed uh that was one of the first songs that will wrote lyrics for i think Pretty sure that was one of the first handful of songs he did lyrics for. Um, so like it was me and JR and Ed Longo, old guitar player, mm-hmm. had kinda like structured that one together. Shouts out, Ed, love you, miss you. Um and Will wrote the lyrics to that song, um about John McCain. Oh wow Republican politician who um he does not care for. um there are specifically quotes of john mccain and i actually don't personally i think there are a lot of politicians that i have a lot more negative feelings towards than john mccain but there are a lot of john mccain lines like john mccain saying he wouldn't trade with middle eastern companies or anyone any company based in any Middle Eastern country, he wouldn't trade with them because, A, they trade in burkas, and America doesn't trade in burkas, and B, they like one-way flights, so he wouldn't feel comfortable flying there. So, for these reasons, our singer has adopted a disdain towards John McCain. I will say, (laughs) personally, I will say, I don't share the animosity towards john mccain because when he was campaigning against barack obama there was a moment when an american voter said i don't trust barack obama he's an arab he's not american he doesn't have america's interests in minds and john mccain to his credit said he's an honest american man he's a good man we disagree on the issues but like those what you said isn't true so I think there I think there's a lot worse politicians out there. But well, at the end of the day, I, I don't mean, at the end of the day, like I have a I I can agree a lot with the sentiment behind the lyrics that Will wrote for that song cuz sure. I mean there is a lot of xenophobia and I mean I'm sure it's applicable yeah. to a lot
0: of different aspects.
1: Yeah. So like I think and I mean at, at the same time too that's human nature like you're going to be able to find things you don't like about anybody. Sure, but I, I mean, when it's the people that are leading you oh, and yeah. that have control over the policy that affects your day to day life, like, like I think, I think Will has good reason to write the things that he's written about John McCain.
0: You'll get no argument out of me when it comes to politicians. I I don't really care for any politicians when it comes to either side. I think there's corruption in all of it, so.
1: Yeah, I was in I was, some
0: way, shape, or form.
1: I was, uh, I was curious about how you and I were gonna, you know, talk politics. I didn't think we were gonna do a whole lot of it. Thankfully, I mean, politically, I find, I, I find myself more just being in the middle. Yeah, like
0: I find that to be the safest place because you're not, you're not pulled in because anymore, it feels like if you say you're right wing, you're a freaking hardcore Trumper, and uh, this and that, you know, like you're all the way to the right, and if you say you're left winger, you're freaking blue hair, and you know, you're like the full, full side of the left. And it's like, there's definitely middle ground to everything. Yeah, there's a
1: lack of nuance.
0: Right, and I feel like the majority of people are more toward the middle. Like, I think we're more rational thinking toward the middle, where like, everybody just assumes every, like, if you're on one side, you're all the way on the one side. And it's like, that's why I'm just like, I'm independent. I'm in the middle. I can draw from both sides. I can see, like, the gray areas and i can make my own yeah. opinion.
1: independent is the uh the title i use for yeah. myself as a voter too uh just because like i mean it's every time i look at a ballot, it's like who are the candidates and what do they think on the individual issues yeah and it's not i i don't like the idea like i heard a lot of in the 2020 elections blue no matter who yeah i'm like no 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 well, I'm no i like no. i don't want people just like sneaking in saying they're blue yeah and like why why should i vote like based on a color like dude this isn't kindergarten exactly like man this isn't like my favorite color is blue so like i'm gonna pick this person to choose my future here well it's like trump didn't get
0: elected based on his policies he got he got elected based on popularity yeah and like and The fact that people enjoyed watching him and they liked him doing crazy shit and saying wild, crazy shit like that. It was must see TV, you know, even even like uh, left leaning media couldn't help but put him on all the time because it was. I mean, you got to It's must see TV. Right. But that and he never got elected on his policies. He got elected because it was exciting and it wasn't boring, you know, just economics talk or some you know something like that he he would say wild shit and that's what drew him drew all these people in and now there's like a cult following it's very bizarre
1: i will say i don't i don't think i truly appreciated how goddamn funny the trump presidency was well, or what it is when you look back on it it's in easier. hindsight holy shit it's Funny, when, Like, there yeah. are some funny moments, but I don't, I didn't find it that funny when I well, was living it.
0: Yeah, well, if it's <laughs> in the moment, and it's like, that's kind of how it is now, too. Like, there's a lot of, you know, things that Biden does that you're just like, Ugh, you know,
1: and it's I, like, I hope we can look back and laugh. And I'm sure
0: we will. Like, it's very, very similar to, like, George Bush, you know, George yeah, Bush had oh, a lot of man, gaffes.
1: So good. It's comedy gold when you look back now. Like man, you go you go watch the interview where Trump is meeting Kim Jong un for the first time. What a bizarre world. It's so awkward and uncomfortable. Like you just can't help but laugh. That's so funny. Yeah. Like it's just funny. Well, we might get round two, who knows? Uh, <laughs> I, I
0: I, God help us. I keep going back and forth as to whether or not I believe it or not, but we will only time will tell. I guess we'll see. Let's listen to the um in rapture song absolutely so tell me a little bit about this before as i'm getting this ready
1: uh this song is called until we meet again it is the first song off of the newest in rapture album um it's mostly like the basis of the song was written by tony our guitarist and uh it's been going to therapy oh no worries uh it's it's uh, dedicated to the people we've lost recently.
0: Nice. See, that, I, I saw that, actually, I think, in that first video you saw Yeah, sent me. yeah, the music video. It had, like, a
1: little message in the beginning. Yeah, kind of like a little memento at the beginning, if you will. All right, let's yeah. check
0: it out. Yeah, man, you really get a lot of emotion in that. Like that, that like I said, man, that that's what I like about the instrumental thing about it. You don't. I feel like with lyrics, sometimes you're kind of directed to feel a certain
1: way. Yeah, absolutely. Because
0: there's such a clear message and like clear thing that's, to an extent, I guess I I tend to try and write my songs like to be somewhat open ended, like I I want it to be kind of vague where. There is a lead message that I'm clearly writing to mm-hmm. but it could be interpreted a number of ways with with instrumental. It can be interpreted many, many, many ways,
1: yeah, that's why I think some classical music is great when it like a song is called like composer's name, symphony one movement one right. like you have nothing to like assume the song is about when it's just called you know. If it's called Mozart's first or, you know, if it's if it's just like the song is a number, like if it's something that like the little the least amount of impression you can put on somebody before the song. So, like, I think having no lyrics is good for that because I really do love hearing songs where like. You can interpret the lyrics in multiple ways yeah. where, like, it's almost like depth, like peeling the layers of an onion, where there's the lyrics that are like the surface level, but if you dig deeper, there's more meaning. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that. And I think that is a way that lyrics can actually greatly enhance a song is when. If like, it's
0: not about like a very obvious thing. Yeah.
1: Cause like the way that a writer the way that they handle the workings of their language, Mm -hmm. like, the way that poetry is beautiful, like, that can add a layer of beauty to a song that wouldn't have it normally. Even with, like, imagine the music is the same, and even the vocals, like, the singer is singing the same melodies. If the lyrics are written differently, it can lose something. It can lose some of the depth. Like, you can interpret just the words on the paper without any melody into, like, if that has depth without any musical, like, melody without anything behind it. Like, I think that is an addition to the song. But in a way, I also feel like it can lead the listener to interpret the music in a way. So, like, I feel like there is, like, there really is... It's a double-edged sword, if you will. There's the benefits of, like, you can really present your message in a strong way and have it interpreted it as you want it to be if you have lyrics that are explicitly saying your message. Yeah. But in a way, it's it's a totally different thing to have somebody interpret just the music with no words and not... And, a title can influence that too to an extent So, like yeah yeah. so having something even just the idea of having something titled already like affects the listener's mind it's true that's true yeah it's just this it's a weird concept of like how much do you want the listener to interpret well and and also to an extent you want to convey a
0: message too yeah yeah like there the is a thing. clear
1: message that you are in fact trying to convey yeah how so, much do you want to convey how much would you like left open to interpretation sure. like and that and there is room for both absolutely and i feel like with niya that's the one way that my two bands differ like there's a a lot of songs i feel like have a pretty explicitly like This is the message. Here's the message. It's written out black and white in lyrics. Like you can take these lyrics, read them without the music behind them, and understand the message, see where we're coming from, see our, in a way, not necessarily all four of us, more so Will writing the lyrics. You can understand his thought process, his belief system, uh, based on the lyrics, even without the music. And it's a completely different artistic vision with enrapture where like that song the one we just listened to until we meet again like i feel like with its title really is explicitly about losing people yeah. in our life but the interpretation isn't there with the lyrics to where you can listen to that and and attribute make it to it, your yeah. own your you, own losses and things yeah. like that apply it to your life if you will and yeah i feel like that's pros and the cons of not having lyrics well either way it conveys a message and i felt a very strong message with that song
0: too so very well done um definitely for anybody out there go listen to both these albums uh like i said i'll link everything in the description so anybody can go check that out uh, we do have a little bit of time left.
1: If you still want to talk some UFC, absolutely. We have to talk MMA because we met because of an MMA fight. My wife and I just happened to be at Rio Sabina's having drinks, yep. and I believe it was Brandon Moreno and Davison Figueroa. Was that oh, the fight? We there's watched? no way I would remember what fight it was because we we've seen a few fights together. Yeah, we we've uh, yeah we've definitely ended up at the same venue a couple times watching. MMA events but I'm fairly certain it was the second fight uh Brandon Moreno Davis and Figueiredo I okay. think it was the second of their four, four fights um and oh man what a blessing as an MMA fan to be able to see those guys fight four times just epic yeah epic fights back and forth but that was actually I think the night that I met you for the first time was yep. We just happened to be posted up at the bar next to each other, and we were just you and my wife watching fights, and we just started bullshitting MMA and like yeah, we
0: it was just regular bar small talk, and we were talking about the fights and things like that, and uh, I'm pretty sure didn't you get those really expensive. Uh, tequila
1: shots we that night we did yeah my wife and i balled out and uh <laughs> so that was actually the uh, weekend i had gotten back from working a masonry job i had worked a construction job out of town for six weeks um Damn. lived in a hotel out of town in baker montana very Oof. small town um laying brick laying sandstone uh foundation for a. Uh, Or foundation and veneer for a credit union in Baker. So we had just, I had just gotten back from working a month and a half out of town. We were celebrating. And uh, yeah, we were taking very expensive tequila shots. And the guy next to me at the bar happened to be watching the UFC fights that we were watching and, uh, you know, enjoying and had to offer, you know, I'm not not going to take a shot like that. And And I
0: couldn't. Except because like that they were like i'm not gonna say the price but they were they were not not cheap i was like i can't
1: i i would be at to a debt to you if you did that but you said they were good they were good and thankfully we did get to have a drink together and watch some more mma yeah like yep i think the bottom line is We have gotten to enjoy drinks together, we have gotten to watch fights together, we've gotten to talk a little MMA together, too, and I'm very thankful for it, because most of my, none of my bandmates, most of the people that I play music with, not interested in MMA. Right. It's uh, very much me and my wife. Okay. Like, that is our thing together, and then, like, we come together and tell our other friends about the great times we've had yeah. enjoying MMA and nobody else really gets it. They're happy for us that we get to go watch our sport. And well, it's nice that you it. both enjoy it too. Yeah. I'm, I'm so, I never would have thought like, this is something my wife and I, we got together and started dating and it was years before we watched MMA together. And I'm so thankful that like I threw on some fights one time, one day at the house we lived together And I was just like, yeah, it's been a while. I haven't put on MMN in a while. Do Do you like watching the fights? And she happened to say, yeah, my dad and I used to watch these together all the time. Like, I like this and this fighter, and here's why I like him. And before you know it, her and I are just like, every weekend, we just love watching these fights together. We have fighters that it's like, I like this fighter because of this fighting style. And here's what this guy does well, and it's entertaining to watch because of this. And like... It really is an artistic expression, and man, it's so entertaining and so brutally honest and human. Like, yeah. well, and there's no team
0: involved. It's it's one guy versus one guy. Like, you you die on your sword or you win by your sword. Yeah. Like, so so when did you start? Like, what era was it?
1: When who who were who was big when you kind of got into it? Um. So I think when I was really getting into it for the first time. Um, Matt Hughes and G S P were in their uh-huh. rivalries and Matt Sarah. So it was like GSP conquering his foes. Yeah. Um was one of the first eras of so like mid two thousands. Yeah, like I was like freshman in high school, eighth grade, kind of coming up. It was like right after I had gotten out of Taekwondo. I took Taekwondo when I was younger. And uh as I was like I like none of my friends took it and I was like losing interest in it and stuff and like as I was growing up, like became less interested in that and started watching MMA a lot more. It was like, Oh, here's where the martial artists that really want to lay it on the line. This is where they go. Like see if their Taekwondo beats the college wrestler. Yeah. Like really lay it on the line. And now it's gotten to the point where like everybody's so good at everything. Yeah, dude. I mean, people have been training just MMA since they were 12. Yeah. Like it's a totally different game evolved way beyond what, like i mean gsp was a pioneer like he was the first guy to have the like stand-up kickboxing and be like now how's here's how i'm gonna incorporate the ground game and like how i'm gonna trick people into thinking like this is this stand-up kickboxing and then the second they think that boom blast the double leg i'm on the takedown i'm hitting the jujitsu like I mean it's we're talking split second. Like yeah. they're in the process of throwing the strike and GSP's transition to the takedown and that takedown is transitioning to the jujitsu. I mean, it was really leveling up the game and advancing the thought process of the game. Like I oh, think he, that was He's by far one of the greatest of all time. Yeah, that sure. was the that was kind of the era and I feel like I was like you kind of like look at when fans get into it Mm -hmm. and you can like see the different eras. Like, man, the guys that are like, I don't know if you follow Raul Rosas Jr. Mm -hmm. Man, the people like him that like they're teenagers and they are already beating people in the MMA game. Like, Oh yeah. 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 We're witnessing like a total revitalization of the game. And it's, it's pretty incredible to watch 19 year olds that are beating full grown men in a cage yeah, and doing it off technique. Like it's because they've practiced so hard. And I mean, at the same time, like you see plateaus in that game too, like where it's like, no, you have to spend time like, like with the gloves on striking too. And
0: well, there's a level of being too, like too young for for the moment. You just don't
1: have the time. And yeah, you don't have the mindset, right?
0: The maturity. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I remember. I I do remember seeing like Forrest Griffin and Chuck Liddell and guys like that fighting, vaguely in my youth. The mo, I'll never forget the moment that I was just like, back into MMA because like I was a casual fan. Let's just say at the at the time, um, just liked it here and there, but it was the Conor McGregor hype, the Conor McGregor hype. Mm. I I knew all about it. I had heard about it. Like it was all over sports, the rise of Conor. I saw Conor versus Aldo Mm -hmm. and granted it wasn't quite the, the full length fight we were hoping for like that, but just based on that alone, I, I was like, okay, I'm 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 in. So ever since what was that, two thousand twelve? Or, yeah, yeah. Twelve, thirteen. Pretty much since then I've I've been strong and only for the like last five, six years I've been like every pay per view. I'll
1: try and I'll I try to watch every pay per view. Sometimes, you know, things get in the way or Yeah. Yeah, I mean well shit they don't make them fucking easy for everybody to just buy no, like that's why I shit, go to real eighty dollars, like I'm gonna- yeah. Oh, that's I I, I have got to say I love having places like Rio Sabinas to where my wife and I can go spend twenty bucks on dinner. Yeah, tip the bartenders fat, have a drink each, and you're still coming out spending less than buying the pay per view to begin with. And exactly, like, and the the tenders and the servers have a good night that night too. Like well, and it's a nice atmosphere you get to hang hang
0: out with people and yeah you and i never
1: would have fucking met we wouldn't be here doing this shit if it wasn't for a place like that exactly like getting people together to watch some fights like do you guys still go there or uh yeah we go there from time to time it's Mm -hmm. like i think we we end up going like three times a year yeah i'd say it's like three mma fights a year that we go to sabina's for sure catch the big ones have some beers hang out with the tenders i missed the last one just because
0: i don't remember why it was it wasn't a great card either, but it was cool that Amanda Nunez got a retirement oh on that it. one
1: on, just this last Saturday yeah yep. yeah I wanted to talk to you about Amanda Nunez see how like because man I think her run is pretty legendary man she went like twelve fights undefeated or something like that not only
0: does she stack up among she's easily the greatest woman women's fighter of all time yeah
1: I mean if you compare her run to... like there isn't a man other than Anderson Silva. Like, right. I think it's pretty hard to even find a male that compares. Well, and the fact that she held two titles consistently. For def- so defended long. Defended them both. Two for so long. Think about how little competition she had at 145. Right.
0: And look at her resume. Holly Holm. Ronda Rousey. Chris it is, Cyborg. It's a
1: killer's row. Yeah. Yeah. Unreal. Like Sh- Shevchenko like, twice. Yeah. It's like every former champion in those weight classes it's like every single one she didn't let any former champion go without beating them yeah she not only
0: belongs she 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 belongs in the ranks of the greatest of all time like she's up there with john jones and uh, gsp anderson silva demetrius johnson like she's right up there with all those i put her i
1: put her on my mount rushmore i do three males and amanda yeah absolutely i think i think what she did against the competition in like i mean it's everyone like, and not
0: just that in dominant fashion
1: oh man yeah big time i think i think you do have to give huge props to juliana Pena sure. at, Yeah. like at the same time what a fight that was but too. then she
0: came back and just decimated her immediately after that like yeah it kind of negates it in a way like don't yeah. get me wrong i think it's like solid- you said huge props to
1: yeah, Pena. I think it both solidifies her legacy, and I think it also, at the same time, it gives the clout to Juliana Pena. For sure. Like, I mean, I think it solidifies, like, Amanda Nunes, this was her era, and now moving forward, it is Juliana's to take, or lose, to squander. Yeah. Like, I mean, all eyes are on her. Like, we gotta see now. She'll probably get the next title fight, it'll be probably her. It has to be.
0: Or they're talking about making that, uh, is it Holmes Pennington? Raquel Pennington? Ooh, that'd be great. Because that's coming up in, like, two
1: or three weeks. That'd be great. They're thinking about putting the title on that one. Yeah, I like that one. Um, Pena gets the winner. Yeah, and Pena gets the winner for sure. Um, Like, if you're lining it up like that, because she's just coming off an injury, too. So, like, there isn't even, like... Who knows when they're she's going to... They're not going gonna... to schedule it. Yeah, they're not going to book her in the next month. They're going to so want to like... get a belt out
0: there. And if it's on a fight night, even better. Because I'm pretty sure that's scheduled for a fight night. Yeah. So even better, you put a title on the line. Mm-hmm. That's going to get more viewers in on that. How stoked are you for International Fight Week?
1: Uh, Who's fighting on
0: that? I'm... Alex Volkanovsky versus Yaya
1: Rodriguez. Ooh, very stoked. Yes. Yeah, the Volk fight that's coming up. Yeah, Volk figure excellent. Or uh Moreno's fighting... Pantoja? Yeah, Pantoja. the only Is he the only guy who's beat him other than Davison? In the no, flyweight? I'm I'm sure he's He's had other losses since. Not not recently, but Yeah. It's been
0: He had a rough go at it in the beginning.
1: Yeah. So but I, I Pantoja know. does have win ha, has a win over yes. Figueredo or uh, Moreno. Or not, yeah, Moreno. Uh that that card stacked. If I had my phone I'd look it up, but um yeah, there's,
0: there's, I think, Jalen Turner versus Dan Hooker's on that card. Ooh, yeah, I get the hangman. Um, Bo Nichols fighting on that card. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: Man, he's a great prospect to watch. Yeah, that, card, that card's absolutely stacked. It, it's almost so stacked, I think I might just buy it. Yeah, that'll be a good one. Not... International Fight Week's always... It is. They make it worth it. And then they just announced a bunch of cool fights, like... Corey
0: Sandhagen versus um, Umar Numagamedov. Ooh,
1: okay. Yeah. That's, that's coming up. It's Umar's first like really big challenge rank. Yeah. That'll be a good one, because he's he seems to have the whole package. Like he's got the grappling, but man, his kicking game. <laughs> he's a Numagamedov. His kicking game, man. He has the craziest like you watch when he throws a front kick, his like spine has arch oh, to it. Yeah. Like he's like whipping his spinal cord back to get the velocity it's crazy to watch that guy fight yeah it's there's some contenders in 130 you want to talk about depth and division 135 gotta be number one man think so dude i mean all you you get through the top 15 and like the number like the next five unranked guys are
0: killers bantamweight is a tough one like band honestly bantamweight featherweight and lightweight are yeah. all
1: stacked? Yeah, lightweights. My number two pick is uh, for most stacked because, like, you get through the number fifteen guy in lightweight, too, well, and it's still like holy shit. You are like,
0: especially when you throw Volkanovski in that list because he's clearly like yeah. gunning for that. Yeah, and then you add they just uh, Max Holloway just announced he's going to move up to fifty five. Mm. So like, it just gets more and more stacked now. And featherweights losing a lot of a lot of those guys.
1: But yeah, I'd say featherweights not quite as deep. The... Yeah, it's it's starting to to peter out just a
0: little bit. It's it's tough when you have a guy like Volkanovski who's just. Like I was just going to say,
1: like, it's hard to like judge the depth when like you hit top five and like there's a huge gap between five and one. Right. Like, it's kind of hard to judge. depth. I mean,
0: two and one. Max Holloway's the number yeah. two, and Volkanovski's beat him three times. The last time, the most definitive of all of them.
1: Yeah, absolutely, the most definitive of all of them. I mean, I mean, the other two fights didn't even look like the same fight. Uh, but yeah, I would say like that makes it kind. It's kind of like hard to judge the depth of a division when Amanda Nunes is just wrecking right. everybody in the top right. five. It's it is kind of hard. Like I think that is part of the reason that one forty five in the women's never got its, its fair
0: shot. It's gonna dissolve. Yeah, I guarantee it's, it's you. gone now. And then I think. I think we see the bantamweight title move around quite a bit. And and what do women's... you think about
1: Valentina moving up to one thirty five now that she? Oh, lost. I bet she will. You think she will? Yeah. I think she goes for that one thirty five I think she's going too.
0: to she's going to try and do the the Nunez and and be
1: the double champ and and run both divisions. I think so too. I think now's her time. Yep. Like you don't get a chance like that.
0: It kind of sucks that Just we last. never got to see the third installment of
1: Nunez versus Sheshenko. I. I agree and disagree. I'm not that, like, of all of the, I think the Max Holloway-Volkanovsky fights, like, where it's, like, you got two of them, and then it's like, no, we need the third. Like, that wasn't yeah. definitive. I think that was a better example of two fights that needed the third, even though, like, the call went the same way. But, Shevchenko wasn't the fighter she is now. Hard agree when she on fought. that. Absolutely agree on that. Um, like, man, her, her ground game, like, I couldn't believe, like, the ground, like, you you watch her fight people and she just picks them apart in the stand up and then the next fight is like she identifies it in her training she's like I'm not gonna kickbox this person to victory I'm gonna get him to the ground the Jessica Andrade fight you was know what I bet example.
0: I bet they probably would have done it had she retained her title H- had Chevchenko beat Grosso. if if there's no way Dana White didn't kind of know that this was gonna be a man's yeah, last fight yeah I yeah. bet you if Shevchenko had her title they would have possibly tried that yeah well, it might I have been in conversation that, yeah. but because she lost to grosso like that's there's no room for that now cuz the hype is only if it's a champ v champ
1: yeah absolutely yeah you can't have the you can't have someone move up and shoot for the title if they're not already the champ below right. and man what a great win for grosso oh like, for sure that huge was... underdog oh, and upset. you know what
0: so i'm not a, like I've I've actually leaned back on my sports betting. Oh shit. But oh. every now and again, so you know,
1: you're 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 really mad at Grasso with, for winning that, for you, huh? Because
0: I had a 5-fight parlay. Only one of them missed, and it was the one that had the greatest odds not to fail. Yeah.
1: The dominant champ picking up. She, up I think the she was a EZW. plus
0: 900 or something like that. And uh or Yeah. You know, uh Shevchenko was a minus 900 right minus is the favorite yeah yeah
1: minus 900
0: and so she had the i, I had whatever that
1: fight card was yeah. 10 think, to 1 odds yeah Shevchenko. i had like four out of five right and that was the one that failed me see we have very different betting strategies uh once juliana peña beat amanda nunez i i've decided i'm not gonna bet on a fight unless it's like a 10 to 1 underdog sure. like Juliana. And underdog. I think she's just got the dog like I'm going to bet on the 10 to 1 dog that I think's like what I really should have done on uh, I should have bet on Jack Della Maddalena's <sighs> first UFC fight cuz I watched his contender series fight. And I, I was stud. like I was like he's going to rip this 170 division apart till the top 10 easy like for sure he's a madman. Yeah, and like his first UFC fight, he was like a five to one underdog against an unranked fighter. Wow! And I was like, dude, he's gonna fucking rip this guy apart. Like this doesn't—he's not even gonna be close. He's got a big fight on International Fight Week too. Yeah, yeah, he I don't does. remember who he's fighting, but that's a good one. It's his first, uh, like top Real 10 challenge. Guy. Yeah, yeah, it's his first. Oh fuck! I'm actually gonna look do it, it up because yeah, I have been do, big do... on Jack Della Maddalena since his uh contender series fight, Mm-hmm. and. I, I, I knew he was just gonna rip through his first at least one, maybe two uh, fights in the UFC as a unranked welterweight. And yeah, like, the unranked guys weren't quite on his level, I would say. I think he had a lot of experience on them in the... Uh... I mean, you look at the guy. He's got a broken nose already. God, I mean, yeah, dude, he's... he's you don't is. fuck with a guy that's like that. No, I've always said to my wife, like if you're in a bar and you see the guy with the cauliflower ears, you don't fuck I, with I, that I, guy. I never said crooked nose. It's always cauliflower ears. You go buy that guy a drink. You befriend like, him. Yeah. Like dude, because like shit's going are, down, he's probably gonna be pretty nice to you if you go up and you're just like, hey man, you seem like a cool dude. I'm gonna buy you <laughs> yeah. a drink. He's probably pretty respectful. But then when shit goes down, that's the guy you want having your back. You don't you don't want like dude with the cauliflower ears gunning for you yep, yep. when a bar fight goes down. Uh, I can't find Jack Della Maddalena's next fight.
0: Just do uh UFC 290
1: and it'll be on the prelims. That's how I've stacked this card is, is he's on the prelims. Holy shit. That's crazy. His UFC debut was on the main card. Yeah. He, um, I'm trying to think of who's headlining the prelims. It's another good fight too. Robbie Lawler is headlining the prelims against Nico Price. Yep. And it's Robbie, it Lawler's... Robbie Lawler's retirement fight. Yep. Shouts out to Robbie Lawler. That Rory McDonald dude,
0: fight. That fight. Actually, you know what? I take it back. I take back what I said What's about... Your favorite fight? Well, that was the fight that got me back into UFC. Because, like, I saw that fight on a replay. You was, see the warrior dude, spirit. That was the one that got me back into UFC. And then the Connor, uh
1: rise really hooked me in. But, yeah. That, that was the fight. That Lawler fight. You shit. You see shit that normal men ain't made of that, like that's like you that, watch a dude with a busted nose just spit out the blood and then and stare each other in the face his opponent be like dude five minutes like you got one minute and i'm gonna come for you and beat the shit out of you for the next five that like,
0: that, that goes right up there with with uh stephen bonner and uh forrest griffin yeah absolutely just like, full banger
1: yeah you get that he, you you understand, like a level of human emotion that you just don't get without that level of competition and without the intensity. Like, man, that is an intense moment. Like, I just imagining the thought process, the feeling in the stomach and your chest that, like, those guys must feel when they're looking at each Jeez. other between those rounds, man. Like, that's got to be like unlike anything so who's, in this uh... entire world. Who's Madalena fighting? He is fighting Sean Brady. Oh, Just coming off a loss against Balal. Remember the name Muhammad? In an
0: absolute banger. That's going to be a fucking killer fight. Like, that, they both... I mean, this is a huge fight for Madalena. And then Sean Brady's got a lot to prove.
1: You think Sean Brady's got to get this fight to the ground, right? He's got I bet to. they strike. You I bet think they, they sh- strike it yep. out the
0: whole time? Mm, depends on how the first round goes. I think Sean Brady... Or the uh, first ten, like first minute and a half yeah, goes. First two
1: minutes, see how it goes. I think Sean Brady tries and get get it to the ground. I think that was he like... he might have learned
0: something out of that last one. Yeah. Well, I don't
1: think he made a mistake by like testing Bilal's stand up because like Bilal's a good wrestler. Dude, the wrestling credentials from Bilal. but like this time around, like we haven't seen anybody really push the Madalena wrestling That's like true. this. That's so, true. That's true. Like, I think Sean Brady would be wise to immediately not immediately like he's got but to look use to take it to the he's ground. got to use a striking to set it up. You're not just going to blast a double leg on a guy at this level in MMA like you're not just going to walk in and shoot double legs all the whole fight with no setup or anything, but like I think he's got to try and mix it up. Like it was straight striking with Bolal and he didn't he didn't come out on top. I think he's got to incorporate jujitsu. That's going to be a fun fight. That'll that, be that's going to be a fun card. The whole you card. talk about an excellent prelim fight. Like the fact that Robbie Lawler's retirement fight is on the prelims. I mean, that says it all that that speaks to the depth of the card. That's going to be a great. I don't think it's a slight to Robbie Lawler. No.
0: No, in any sense. I think like, he knows.
1: It's national, It's I mean, it's international. And Nico Price,
0: that's a great matchup, too.
1: Great, great contender. Internationally televised still. It's not like they're doing him dirty. And, I mean, you're going to get people tuning in for it. So, I'm, Absolutely. I'm hyped for that one.
0: All right, brother. I could talk MMA all day. And you know what? We're going to have to run this show back again. And we'll talk more MMA next time. I think
1: so. Better, yeah.
0: But we're running pretty long. And I want to get you out of here. I don't want to just take up your whole night. For sure, man. But I did mention to you before. I always like to end my episodes with a
1: positive or motivational message from my guests. Um, what do you got, man? Um, so I thought about this a little, you gave me a heads up, like we're gonna have to talk like, cause I think at my heart, I really am a cynic and like, like just kind of a grumpy old bastard. But like, I really do think that like the end of the day, like there's only so much you can control And we're all, like, a small cell in a very big system that we don't fully understand. And that there's going to be things out of our control in life and things that we'll never understand, a bigger picture, if you will, a grand scheme, although I don't like to use those phrases because I don't know that there is so much, like, an intelligent design to it. But I know for a fact that, like, there's so much beyond our control that we can't see. And I don't want to just say, like, it doesn't matter what you do. But, like, man, you keep working hard. You keep staying positive. Like, you'll end up where you need to be. Like, I never would have guessed that I'd be married to my wife and that I'd be in a amazing band 10 years running now. But, like maybe I'm just fucking lucky or maybe all my hard work paid off, you know, like Mm -hmm. I think like just stay positive. Keep fucking working hard, man. Like that's all there is to it. I've always thought what you put into the universe, the universe gives back to you.
0: So if you put in positivity, if you put in hard work, if you be a good person that comes back to you. Whereas if you do the opposite, most people who have shitty lives or who end up in shitty situations, they weren't exactly good people to, to start with. So, I think if you if you stay the course
1: and be a good person and work hard, it pays you back. Life, yeah, life pays you back. There wasn't. I fucking wish I could remember who I should attribute this quote to, but I heard a great quote from an MMA fighter at a a media day, and I can't remember who. But they said, "You grow through what you go through," and like. Every, every negative in your life, like, it really does have the opportunity to be a learning experience, and it's a lot easier to just sit on a couch and say that, and be like, well, you just need to learn from it, move on. Like, it's really not that fucking easy to just be like, okay, well, now that I'm dealing with all this negative, my life's gonna be so positive, but, I mean... You just got to keep moving forward. You got to stay positive and I mean, have the faith like I can't, I can't say that everybody's life is going to be perfect if you just keep working hard and keep staying at it. But I feel like there is a lot to be said that like a lot of hard work, a good attitude is going to get you a long fucking way.
0: Agreed. Well, brother, thank you so much for coming on the show, man.
1: This is a lot of fun. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it.
0: And then everybody out there, make sure, go in the description. Click on both bands. Check out all the work. Check out the new albums. Share them with your friends. Let's get the word out. And also, share this episode. Like it. Comment. Do all that stuff. That's what we call uh, cross- Cross promotion for cross pollination for me and for you. So, thanks to everybody for listening. Thank you guys. But don't forget, life's a garden. Dig it. Dig it.
1: it.